Hello, friends, and welcome to the inaugural episode of What's Left to Do. I am your host, Janelle. So I'm starting this podcast because I'm interested in hearing from everyday people on the left, plus some of your faves, and understanding their life stories and the pivotal moments that shaped their arrival at a leftist politic. And now that they're here, when they look out on the world, what do they see? How do they understand it? And last but certainly not least, what is the future they hope to produce and how might we get there? Because damn, this ain't it. (laughs) My first guest is Liz, one of the many wonderful people I got to know and love volunteering for the Bernie Sanders campaign. This is a two-part episode because I'd be all up in people business for three, four hours at a time. Um, And in part one, we may or may not have covered sushi, ugly ass Mormon underwear, small town shame, and of course, heterodox economic theory. (laughs) Deadass. It should be pretty clear to you that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, um, but that's never stopped me before. So, you know, Yahtzee. Okay, here goes nothing. The inaugural guest. Inaugural meaning first. (laughs) 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 For what's left to do is none other than Lizzie Boo. Let me give you an intro to this woman. First, she gonna organize you out of two hours of your afternoon. No big deal. Then it's going to be an entire afternoon. Before you know it, who needs a job? I'll be in the office every day doing whatever the fuck needs to be done. None other than Liz. Say hi to the people, Liz. Hello, people. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you (laughs) in person. It's such a joy. (laughs) That's correct. Two COVID tests later, and um, here we are. How are you? I'm doing really well. In this moment, I'm extremely happy. So Liz and I met late around this time last year actually when like i started coming to the office to phone bank on thursdays with cat yeah. and allison and then you tricked me into <laughs> stopping my entire goddamn life um and here we are and i was like yeah i think everyone's full i was not as ever as full-time as you because you were like you was up four o'clock in the morning, cutting turfs in the office. Who needs a snack? Sit your ass down. She don't curse people. That's me. Just you. That's me. Adding color. <laughs> Only behind the scenes. Ever. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. But, it was hard not to get sucked in though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're going to get to how you became the super ball that you were. Cause, cause so here's the thing with all the people that I got to know during, um, during the campaign, like we were, it was always, um, there was always something to do. And we're, it was always just like, ah, you're here, you're here, you're here, da, da, da. Like I never got to really like know, like I didn't get to like know your story. I just know there go Liz and her blazer handing out directions <laughs> to everybody, giving out marching orders. And that's just what it is. So we're gonna, we're gonna get back to, um, we're gonna get back to the campaign, but I wanna, 
I want to reverse. That was me trying to make a voice noise. I don't know why I do that. Um, and we're going to start with like, I know you're from, I think you're from Washington or your, your family is there right now. I am. I grew up in Washington, like, although like Eastern I, Washington, Eastern, okay. deep Eastern Washington. Ooh, that sounds scary. But I'm from Santa Cruz, California, originally. Okay, you good. As in the first five years of my life. Okay, so let's <laughs> go back. So you were born in Santa Cruz. Born in Santa Cruz. Okay. My parents moved us out to Eastern Washington after the earthquake in '89. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? I remember sitting under. A, uh, a lemon tree and the lemon started falling I on my head and I was like, this is so fun. You, you couldn't <laughs> be more California if you wanted to. I ask you about an earthquake story and you tell me about citrus. You get on my that, nerves. Uh -huh. That is my only memory from that. I remember being super fun. So obviously for any adults, that was a really scary time. And for my father, he decided to drive as far north as he could. Mm -hmm find a piece of land to buy, uh -huh. buy it, uh -huh. and then build a house because he's a builder. What were you guys, okay, so what was your, sorry, your parents from California? Where are your parents from? Both of my parents were born and raised in the Bay Area, mm -mm. Um, mostly around Santa Cruz. Okay. And so they grew up with the whole, you know, like deep hippie uh, mm. culture. And so they, they brought were that and, with us. They were born and raised in Santa yep. Cruz? And all of my extended family still lives down there. I got so, you. Yeah. And so going to the middle of nowhere, which yeah. it really was, the closest town was called Molson. Mm -mm. Had a sign, population 35. Absolutely not. We're not <laughs> doing that. Mm -mm. Where, you know, you have to drive 30 minutes to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's not a stoplight for a couple of hours. I mean, it was, it is still a very... Um, small, very depressed town, mm -hmm. never really was booming. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's, that is what I remember. That's me growing up from so, the age of five. But so what was, so what were your parents doing for work in Santa Cruz when you guys lived there? And then what were they doing in this no stoplight ass town in Washington when yeah. you moved there? What, like, so my what mother, um, she retired recently, mm -hmm. but she worked as a nurse practitioner mm -hmm. um, for most of her life. She was an mm -hmm. ER nurse for a bit in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So when we moved out there, she worked at the local family health clinic ah. where they provided low-income people with health care mm -hmm. and you know affordable meds and so she really got to know you know the population of people there that were dependent on medicaid and medicare mm. um and it worked for them mm -hmm. you know it's it, it's a great system and so my dad he's a builder artist kind of uh does what he wants kind of that's my kind of man he's an architect but he's, he's really an artist so yeah. he he built a bunch of houses he built our house mm. um like from scratch isn't the right word but you know from exactly. like from, <laughs> <laughs> he went and cut the lumber he mixed yeah, well, the our plaster house was actually a barn originally so the foundation was there uh -huh. um but he 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 like erected the structure yes. himself. Yeah. Not from scratch. It's not yeah. okay. <laughs> Although he does build houses from scratch. Not anymore. He's in his late seventies. No, so right. he so like now just builds pops. sculptures. Okay. So yeah. yeah, so we were, you know, and they brought all of their 
liberal California ideas mm. with us, and we moved to a very conservative mm. little town in, you know, the middle of Eastern Washington. How would you, so as a, tell me, in uh, try and tell me, like as a child, how, how did you perceive of your parents' quote, liberal California kind of ethos or say, like what was your understanding of it? My understanding was that we were different from how? everyone around us. Um, you know, when I was little, it was definitely more nuanced. It would be something like I would talk about wanting to go eat sushi mm. and my friends would be like, gross, like, why would you want to do that? So just culturally, I could mm -hmm. tell that, you know, people um, had, who had lived there their whole lives mm -hmm. and it, by no fault of their own, just mm -hmm. hadn't been exposed to certain things. Mm -hmm. Whereas because we had family in California, we would always be going to California or mm -hmm. traveling. Um, as I got older, and I would say once I was in junior high, high school, mm -hmm. and you become more aware of politics and who your parents are voting for, mm -hmm. there was definitely clashes around, you know, who you would support as a family. Mm. So I remember my friends being very conservative and having very conservative ideas around religion or around, you know, family values, abortion. You know, so as those topics became more a part of our conversation in high school, mm. I, I felt very self-righteous. I remember thinking like, oh, how, you know, mm. these poor kids don't know any better. <laughs> like, I'm just, you know, I, I know what's right and they don't. So I was very, um, kind of bitter. I think about being, I felt stuck there. Mm. I felt like I, you know, needed to get out. It was like my, uh, it was really my motivation for wanting to go to college was, mm. you know, it was an expectation of my family. I would go to college, but I was like, I just need to get out of Oroville. Sure, sure, sure. Because it, it wasn't, it wasn't assumed that if you graduated from high school that you'd be going to college. I mm. think maybe, you know, of the 50 people in my graduating class, mm. maybe five of us went off to a university. Huh. A lot of people went into the military, um, partially because people can't, you know, couldn't afford to go to college. A lot of people went to community college, mm. often paying their own way through. Mm. So yeah, I felt, you know, I, I had a lot of good friends, but when it came to any serious issues, we definitely clashed mm. and butted heads a lot. Can you think of any, is there one particular instance or story that you look back and chuckle on like that you can, that you can remember of, of a clashing growing up? Oh yes. Um, I had two friends that I believe they're still Mormon. Um, and, ooh, ooh, ooh. and so they hmm. wanted to save my soul because Girl, they, knew, the <laughs> they knew that I wasn't <laughs> religious uh. and they loved me as their friend. And so they wanted to do what was they best They wanted to save me. you from hellfire. Yeah. They're like, what's the harm? And so I was trying to- well, The harm was them ugly ass specialized underwear they got on. And well, they just wanted me to believe. No, like I just accept, you know, Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, I, you can't just force yourself to believe in something that you sure. have never believed in. Sure, sure, sure. You know, so your family was not religious? No, we, my father is, dabbles in Buddhism. Oh, okay. As you know, and- we, As you do. <laughs> as a lifestyle. That's right. But no, we did not grow up with religion. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I remember being very torn by that because on one hand it was very sweet sure. and kind of her to want this for me. And mm -hmm. she was genuinely worried about my, the fate of my Inter soul. Yeah, eternal damnation. But on the other hand, I didn't want to lie to her and say, okay, I'll do it. Just, 
to appease you. Right. It's, it's not like going wrong. skating. You're yeah. like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's yeah. roll. Yeah. So that was, I definitely was conflicted. So how do you, so that was your understanding kind of of like the way you were socialized into an understanding of the world as a child, but like looking back now as an adult, where you are and how you are, as you are, what is your, how, how would you this, mm, what is your reaction to what you once believed or how you once went through the world with your beliefs? Yeah, it's, uh, completely different. Mm. And I wouldn't say, you know, I'm in my early thirties now. And I would say only in the last five years did I really come to appreciate my upbringing mm. and appreciate the place that I came from. Mm. Did you and, try Were you ashamed for a little bit? Oh, definitely. Why? In, in college. I, because I would, I mean, partially it was my own shame because I felt as if not having gone to a really good high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, we didn't have AP classes. I had to take AP calculus over like an online system, system that I, you know, had to beg to get set up. And so I just knew going into college, I was like, I'm not going to be able to compete. Um, but in order to do well in life, I have to, you know, I have to prove something to somebody. I don't know who I was trying to prove it to, sure, sure, sure. I guess myself, but, um, now I think, you know, after many, many years and kind of a, my own ideological evolution, mm. you know, changing the way that I saw the world and my place in it. Mm-hmm. I now look back and I think, you know, I, I had a lot of privilege in a lot of ways. The fact that I could go to college sure. and that my parents were willing to pay for it mm-hmm. and that I didn't come out of college with debt. Mm-hmm. You know, I never would have looked at myself back then and thought I'm privileged or I'm super lucky mm. to have come from the place that I did, to have had the family that I did, mm. who like valued education, mm-hmm. which was something I, I wanted to do. You know, I don't think it's necessarily right for everyone to go to a four-year university. And, mm-hmm. but because I wanted to go, they supported that. So yeah, looking back, I feel, I, I can't say I feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, that of my shame, you know, of my, I think it was what I needed to do to kind of, you know, uh, adjust to being out in the world. Mm. Um, but what I'm trying to understand is, was your, is your, was your shame at the time? Was it, was it because of place? Was it because of how you perceived the people that were around you? Was it because of how you perceived people, you know, from more cosmos, more cosmopolitan kind of backgrounds viewing you? Like what was, what was yeah. the source? Well, of it? um, when I got to college, I, you know, and I would talk about where I was from, mm-hmm. people would ask me questions like, uh, did you like, do you use an outhouse? Oh, okay. Or, bitch. you know, like uh-huh. they would make assumptions sure, about, sure. you know, you're from a small town. Uh-huh. So they think like, like oh, you have teeth. Yeah. They, so they, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So they would think like, uh, you know, you don't have running water. You don't have facilities. You're very impoverished. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and I did come from a town where people did not have, some people didn't have heat in the winter Sure. and still don't, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the disparity in Eastern Washington is extreme. Sure. And so being in Seattle for mm. college, which is where I went, mm. a lot of people there mm came from very affluent backgrounds. Mm. And so their understanding- you, did you, Would you not, would you not describe your upbringing as affluent? Like how, if you- I, I mean, mean, relative to those around me, yes. Mm. Relative yeah. to my classmates, probably, but not, and it, now looking back, 
in the context of like most families in the United States, mm -hmm. I would say my family was relatively affluent in that we like was summer a verb in your house? Yes. To, oh, two summer? Oh, God, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, two summer. No, but we owned a house in Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. So we had... Oh, the house, you still own the we house? We still owned you... the house in Santa mm -hmm, Cruz. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and we, you know, owned the property up in Washington. Mm -hmm. um, my parents could, you know, they never struggled to feed us or, you know, take us on trips. Mm -hmm. You know, but as a kid... And even as like a young adult, I thought this is just normal. Sure, this is sure. How sure. everyone lives, mm -hmm. um, and everyone that I was surrounded by had actually lived more luxurious lifestyles, and so in Seattle. In Seattle, gotcha. And mm -hmm. my, what turned out to be my three best friends from college, all came from the same very um, affluent neighborhood in LA, mm -hmm. where they went to like an amazing high school, sure. where you know people go to Ivy leagues left and right. Mm -hmm. And they ended up being three of my closest friends, but our upbringings couldn't have been more different. And mm. so, you know, I would compare myself to them and I would not immediately, I mean, back then I, I definitely didn't see my own privilege. Mm -hmm. it, it just didn't occur to me. Meaning you, tell me what you mean by that. I mean that I, I felt as if I was really struggling. I'm like, I... Oh, you thought you were salt of the earth. Yes. But why? Because I came from a small town where oh. I did not get a great education. Mm -hmm. I re that first year of college was really tough for you me. You had to play catch up. I had to play catch up. You were at UW? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, I felt as if I just hadn't been exposed. Culturally or educationally? Both. And give me an example. Like, is there like someone bought a tub of beluga caviar to the to the sorority house one night? I and mean, like, what are one of these? the more I, I would say the most obvious thing would be, um, you know, just in the way that I dressed versus people around me. Designers were not a thing. We had one store in Oroville, mm -hmm. like a clothing store, uh -huh. yeah, that sold clothes. Uh -huh. It was also a grocery store and the hardware store. Oh, so. Ooh. You know, I did not grow up wearing anything you didn't have, like, fancy. Okay. There was no uh -huh. brand name. Uh -huh. And a lot of my friends at college would wear designer brands mm -hmm. that I did not, I was not aware of. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so you certainly didn't own. I, I didn't own. Mm -hmm. um, and I just didn't know that I ever wanted them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that I felt that I lacked until those around me, you know, mm -hmm. had things. And it, it wasn't something that during college was, like, actually that important to me. It was just very obvious that some people came from, you know, one type of background and mm. I came from a different one. Mm. And over the years, obviously you kind of acclimate and you sure, tend sure. to, you know, blend so, in, but. Is that where the, is that where the, like, the, sh the kind of shame retrospective started? Like you had, you got to, you got to Seattle, you got to the big city, you got these <laughs> fancy ass friends with these, with these premium threads on. And then it was just like, Oh, huh. I'm a, yeah, I'm a I think, little. I'm... I think we always compare ourselves, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to our peers, mm -hmm. and and we're not necessarily always looking at the big picture and sure. looking at ourselves as where we stand in like society as a whole. Sure, sure, sure. Because it's, it's all relative. It's all yeah. relative. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. if I had, you know, in Oroville, I was 
I was the one who thought that I was more cultured and that I... Because you was eating sushi. You yeah, were I was eating sushi. I like sushi. Exactly. Uh, uh, um, but then, you know, in in a city with a different crowd of people, sure. I then was the small that town That California girl. role wasn't looking anything. so grand, this thing. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting. And so that definitely was formative that mm. time. So what did you study in school? I studied biology in undergrad. Mm -hmm. What was your, what did you, at that point? At that point, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was uh -huh. like, I'm going, my mom worked in a clinic. That's right. You know, it was, that was the um, role model that uh -huh. I'd had. And so I was really, I was into science. Sure. I really enjoyed it. I was good at it. So I thought, of course, I'll be a doctor. Right. Yeah, why not? Um, so I studied biology um, with a double major in comparative literature because I also <laughs> really like that. Excuse me. And then after college, I worked in research. Um, I actually worked for the university for um, a research group as their research coordinator. Mm -hmm. And then decided that I, and you know, without getting into too many details, decided I wanted to go back to school. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up going to get a master's at Columbia mm -hmm. for biomedical engineering. Mm -hmm. So Liz, small town girl, Eastern Washington, makes it to the big city, <laughs> makes fancy friends with designer label fashions. She wants to be a doctor. She's studying biology. She then decides, hey, I'm gonna get another degree. I'm gonna hightail it to New York. Up until this point, how would you describe, how do you, how would you describe the way you looked at the world and like, and like the state of things? Solidly liberal. Okay. Like, like neoliberal. Like embarrassingly so? Like I bawled my eyes out when Obama won because I- I can forgive you for that. That I, was a different, that was a different, that you have to give different. me a better example. That was, that was a There were a lot time. of reasons, but I was, I truly believed that he was going to transform this country mm -hmm. into, you know, if he had transformed it into what his vision was at mm -hmm. the time, mm -hmm. I thought that that was the the best end result that we could get. <laughs> I love That's that everyone now can look back at like, my most embarrassing memory <laughs> is no. ever thinking Barack Obama was worth a damn. So uh -huh. I wouldn't, I, I'm not embarrassed of that, but I would say that it's very telling to but give what me my... another example of where you were so, up until that point. So in terms of like that how point, you saw so, in that job that I got right after college, yeah. I was coordinating a, a phase three clinical trial mm -hmm. um, for the University of Washington. I was making, I think, seventeen fifty an hour mm -hmm. in that job. Wow. Barely enough to afford rent in sure. Seattle at the time. That was also the time when Seattle was discussing for the first time, mm -hmm. um, or it was becoming more mainstreamed anyway, um, the $15 minimum wage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this was also about the time that I started dating my now current partner, mm -hmm. Peter. And so we, he has always been very, uh, excited by politics. He mm -hmm. studied poli sci in college. And so we discussed this $15 minimum wage a lot, you mm -hmm. know, is it good? Is it bad? He was very pro. Mm -hmm. My feeling at the time, I remember thinking was I make $2 and 50 cents more than the minimum wage. Uh -huh. And I had four years of college and Ooh. my job was like pretty, uh, stressful yeah, yeah. and a lot of things wrote on it. And I was mm -hmm. like, how is that 
fair. Mm. So I can understand now when people have this feeling that like, I deserve something, mm -hmm. you know, I, I worked hard, like this whole like notion of like the meritocracy, like I earned this. Sure, sure, sure. Um, let me press you on that. So that so you, is so embarrassing. The, yes, that, okay, that's a good yes. example. Because I, I can give you a pass on the Obama because we were all crying. We were all <laughs> stupid and dumb at that yes. point. <clears throat> anyway, so you're saying you're one of your, not fondest because it's, but like one of your, one of your most salient memories of being an embarrassing ass lib was being against the idea of the fight for 15 in Seattle. When I you was were never against it. Uh -huh. I still thought it, I, at the time, I remember thinking like this should pass, but also, what the fuck? Something, yeah. What the fuck? Like uh -huh. what? And and so that was really when I decided to quit my job. I was like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Need you something else. Um, but no, it didn't sit right with me, and I wasn't really it. It was I had an internal struggle. I was like, I know that this is right. Mm. That people should make a living wage, mm -hmm. but for some reason, I was convinced that like. I mean, I guess in my head, I thought I should be making more than this. You should be if you're saying at the time, tell me if I'm, if I'm repeating this back to you correctly at the time you thought, yeah, people should make $15 an hour as a minimum wage because it costs money to live. You know, like that's pretty obvious. However, if that's going to be the floor, I don't need to be that damn close to the floor. Is that was like, was that your thinking? Yeah. Mm. So it was, you know, I was definitely struggling. Uh, financially, I felt very insecure. So I knew that people making less than me must feel, yeah. you know, far worse, especially if they had families to support. Mm -hmm. So I could, I could at least appreciate that, but mm -hmm. I don't think that I fully understood the entire picture mm -hmm. and was able to take apart all the pieces of that mm -hmm. and like why I felt that way and why, you know, others feel this way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially looking back and thinking, oh, I, you know, I deserve something because mm. I had worked so hard mm. and I came from so little. Mm. When in reality, like I, my parents had paid for my college. Right. I right. didn't right. have debt. I wasn't paying off That's student right. debt. Okay. Um, you know, so that, that was me. And I slowly was feeling this internal conflict. Um, I didn't really know how to understand the world. I'd never studied economics mm. or politics. I didn't really know how any of it worked. Mm. You know, I still believed that taxes actually went to pay for stuff. <laughs> right, federal taxes, you know? yeah. And so moving to New York, mm -hmm. starting this grad graduate program, mm -hmm. um, I actually ended up founding a company while at Columbia. Mm -hmm. And so it was my first, like I dipped my toes into like the private sector. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, I was confronted with all of these questions sure. that one is confronted with mm -hmm. when starting a company, which is, you know, uh, what, how do you want to structure it? Mm -hmm. You know, how are you going to, um, divide up shares? Mm -hmm. Do you want it to be for profit? You know, um, how are you going to monetize things? So I was pitching to VCs in, in New York, you know, mostly men, it was a, it was a product for women. And so that was, that was the challenge. And then I was pitching to people who wanted to know how can we make a profit off of this? Mm -hmm. And so I had started this project because I genuinely thought this was a problem that we might be able to solve. Profit was the last thing on my mind. Mm -hmm. Terrible business owner, you know, like <laughs> mm -hmm. was not, it was not the right role for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it was 
a wake up call. Mm. And it, at the same time, um, I was surrounded by a lot of people in New York. A lot of my new friends there were very far to the left. Mm. And so I had this exposure at the same time mm. Um, to all of these things that I had never thought about before or mm -hmm. never really known about. Because you're still coming off of your minimum wage yes. conundrum. Okay. Yes, mm -hmm. I, I was still coming off this, you know, pretty Liberal, solid neo-lib, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, brain. That's right. So, <laughs> uh, and so, and then, you know, because I felt so conflicted and I wasn't really sure how to understand the world and mm -hmm. what I was feeling and why I felt that these things were so wrong, but mm -hmm. I didn't know how to articulate it. Mm -hmm. I did a ton of reading mm -hmm. just for my own pleasure and curiosity. Um, what are know. the things you read? So I definitely read, I did not read Marx, mm -hmm. but I read a lot of critique mm -hmm. of him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I tried, but it's very dense. Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I read it enough to understand the principles mm -hmm. and, you know, his critique of capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, I read Engels and Hegel, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of economic philosophers. Sure. Um, I also read a lot about modern money theory. Mm -hmm. and Come on, Stephanie Kelton. Yeah. That was, that, that changed me. When it I, is. Yeah. What? Yes. I used to, I mean, because we all grew up with this stupid app. It's not stupid, but it is, it's, it's cynically stupid idea of like a government, a government being, a government's finances being akin to a household. And it's just, no, that's just not it. it not at the federal level, the state and city level. Yes. Like everyone who is not a, um, a currency issuer has to more or less have things in balance. So that's that's my household, that's your household, that's Google, that's the state of California, that's the city of San Francisco. But the federal government is not beholden to these same strictures. But that 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 really like um, that that fucked it up for me in a good way when, when I this? came to this was this was probably this was probably in 2016 after I had discovered naked capitalism. That's like my Bible. Um, and like, I would, some, like I don't always like read the comments cause I just don't. But, uh, but there was, it wasn't, was it in the comments or was it something after Eve's posted? Cause there was something she was linking to and she was verbally like eye rolling, like, yeah, like federal, your federal taxes do not pay for federal spending. Like, cause it was uh, some story, some, I don't know, whatever the fuck. And it's just, when I first saw it, it was just like, oh, I think she might be mistaken. But then I was like, no, 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 she knows what the fuck she's talking about. Um, but that like, that changed things for me. That like turns your whole world upside correct. down. Correct. Because yes. all, cause um, let's, let's, we're going to, we're going to shake it here for a second. Yeah. It changes your whole world. Because it it then um, it it um, how do I want to say this? It elides the fact that so much of what we understand what we understand and have to endure in terms of like material deprivation is a political choice. It does not have to be this way. Yes. Period. Yes. This Period. blew my mind. Yeah. The fact that the government can create can spend into existence That's as right. much money as it wants. That's right. Obviously, you know. There are some boundaries. I mean, there, there are guardrails. inflation. That's right. You don't want to run can, away. Yeah, you that's can right. spend a hell of a lot more than you think that's you right. can. That's right. Especially if there is, you know, a productive machine in place that's that right. can use that money. That's correct. And so the fact that we are not creating social programs is 
rubbish. Is yes, That's and correct. that every president, yeah. and you know, Bernie on occasion has you know made reference to this, although he's yeah. you know not as guilty as most. That's right. That you know we have to worry about the deficit. We absolutely do, do fucking not. Yeah, and so that, yeah. I mean, that was that was a life-changing yeah, moment, that's right. but I feel like I had so many of those just finally opening myself up to this whole world. The, yeah, so that, that made me crazy yeah. because I suddenly could look back at everything that I thought I understood about you know, fiscal policy mm -hmm. and realize that it was all bullshit. Correct. You know, and when Obama said, we're only gonna spend, what was it, like 700 billion on- Yeah, TARP, the, the bailout. The bailout, which was not enough. Way obviously, too small, way And, and too really small. made the recovery so much slower. That's he right. could have spent over a trillion and should have. And we now know that there is, I mean, we should know after this, you know, this, 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 Criminal Cares Act that was passed in March. That was six trillion, just yeah. real quick. So do not, so don't give me this. This I mean, and they knew at the time. So sorry, back to two thousand eight. They knew at the time that this what is this seven hundred, eight hundred billion yeah. was not enough because they saw that the the hole in demand in the economy was about two trillion. But it, again, a political choice. Yeah, like oh shock. yeah, oh, that would that would that would scare people. You know, yeah. fast forward. 12 yeah. years and six trillion without batting an eye. And I would say the most important thing that I gained from all of this reading, and a lot of it from Marx, but also just kind of reading about um, like organizing and labor unions, is just the fact that like working class is not a bad word. Mm. Like it, you know, the difference between working class and somebody that has wealth. Mm -hmm. You know, the difference between wealth and income, for example, mm -hmm. was something I had never even considered. considered. Mm. I'd never even thought about it. The fact that my family owns property in California, yep. that we benefit from not having to pay high taxes on that property because of California's fucked up yeah, property right. tax laws, right. I, that had never even crossed my mind. Mm. So it was this, as soon as I opened up you know, mm -hmm. these ideas in my brain, mm -hmm. all of it just came rushing in because I finally felt like for the first time I understood the way the world actually worked. Mm. I understood my place in it mm. and I could appreciate, you know, all of this in one uh, view. Mm -hmm. You know, it had been so disjointed before and, and it had been so confusing. I thought, you know, I didn't study economics. I'll never understand this. Sure. But you know, I don't need to be an expert. You don't have to, <laughs> you know, to understand expert. that you have a brain. That people deserve a living wage, That's right. and that you know, laborers shouldn't be exploited for profit, sure. and that we should provide people with like their basic needs. That's right. Um, and dignity, like That's right. those things, you don't need to be educated. That's right. You don't need to know. That's right. <laughs> you don't need That's to right. like know even you know anything about Marx or You don't need to know policy. anything other than I'm a human being. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, I am entitled to the dignities yeah. therein. But what I do yeah. think people need to know, which we can we can get sure, into sure, when sure. it's time, is you know, this question of is it possible? Hey, come on. We're not gonna do that right okay. now, but we are going to do that. So a little teaser for later, so yeah. stick around. Yeah. Is it possible? Right. Yes it is. Yeah, of course. Of course it is. <laughs> hmm. Yes. 
So, so at this point, was there a part of you when you were kind of coming into this epiphany that was running from it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, mm. and, and what I yes. mean by that is like, you know how we're all socialized into, you know, to all like, you know, desire out loud to be billionaires or whatever the fuck nonsense, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, 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 and to, and to not, and to not affirmatively espouse that is like deficient or you're asking for, you know, ruin or you must be dumb or lazy, da, da, da. Like how, how did that, how did, yeah. how did being an American, you know, temporarily embarrassed millionaire, like how did that run up against your epiphanies? And like, how were you able to kind of negotiate that or, or, you know, yeah. dance that dance? Well, that is still a conflict that I am working through. Mm. And I think I can speak for most people on the left mm. who have to work sure. normal corporate jobs that it is, you know, it's a, it's a conflict of your beliefs with your need to pay the rent and survive. But is and, it a conflict? You're well, still a worker. You're still a worker. Yeah. Although, so at, at my startup failed, yeah, yeah. you know, for all the reasons that I said, I'm just sure. terrible at pitching to VCs. Sure. No. Um, so we did raise a little money and we got, you know, we got a little bit into it, but all of my, um, my co-founder and then a couple of people that we were working with ended up going off to do postdocs. Mm. I got a job at a, a biotech startup mm -hmm. in New York. And so um, we all went our separate ways. While working at this startup, I was a product manager there. Mm -hmm. I was faced on a daily basis with this idea of making a product that was profitable. Yep. You know, like I was responsible for making sure that this thing was successful mm -hmm. and that, you know, the demand from the board, which was high, yeah, yeah. was met. Yeah. yeah. And so they're like, let's first make profit mm -hmm. by, by cutting corners and making all of these decisions that don't really improve the product, but you know, that's for later. As soon as we make it big, then we'll make a good product. Mm -hmm. Then we'll actually provide something to customers mm. and to patients because it had a clinical arm as well that is valuable. Mm -hmm. But I also saw the extreme pressure that was put on them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by people who were tr profiteering off of this, you know, shitty product, staying <laughs> shitty and just like getting out to the market faster. Sure, sure. Um, you know, hoping that like the, the value would catch up somehow. Sure. So that, I mean, that was during a time when I really was like becoming an anti-capitalist. Mm. So working, you know, really close to the C-suite of this company that was dealing with lots of money and lots of financial, you know, thinking about, you know, fundraising and what we had to prove and show on the books mm -hmm. to get our next round of funding. Mm -hmm. I hated it. Yeah. You know, it felt, it was, it made me feel dead inside. I mm. had to kind of keep my mouth shut about what sure. I actually thought. Sure. Um, you know, a handful of coworkers I was able to talk to, but generally I just had to- Grin and bear it. Yes. That was quite the journey to the present moment with Liz. And by the way, embarrassing stories from when I was a liberal is definitely about to be a mandatory question asked of everyone. So if I have you on, don't even try and duck it. I really just want us to be able to marvel at, at our growth. <laughs> All right, can't wait to hear what she has to say in part two.